0: Um, What do both of you anticipate coming out of the summit? Is it a nothing burger? Is it a something Uh, burger? Is it a poutine taco? Like what's (laughs) happening?
1: (laughs) Poutine taco. Now there's Uh, another image. Welcome
2: to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands.
1: Welcome back to Canusa Street, everybody. Uh, my name is Chris Sands, and I'm from the Wilson Center's Canada Institute. And I'm here with the woman who makes things happen in Washington, Ottawa, and everywhere else. My good friend <laughs> Scotty Greenwood. Hi, hey, Scotty.
0: Hey, Chris. It's good to be with you. And this is kind of a fun switcheroo for our normal uh, for our normal introductions. You doing the lead in, me co- me coming in second. Well, so, it's a you know.
1: very special episode because we are not just interviewing a guest. We are interviewing one of my colleagues at the Wilson Center, Andrew Rudman. Uh, and I'll let you do the formal introduction. That's the purpose of the switcheroo. But, but Andrew runs the Mexico Institute, counterpart to the Canada Institute, here at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. He's, uh, he's a good sport to come on the program. And uh, I'll leave it to you, Scotty, to give him a formal introduction.
0: Sounds good. And what I love about you, Chris, is you do everything I do, but you do it backwards and in high heels, <laughs> as Ginger <laughs> Rogers once said about Fred, Fred Astaire or vice versa, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Andrew, thank you for coming. I will introduce you properly as as Chris normally would do. He mentioned that you're his counterpart. I would say NAFTA uh, or North America, better said North America is well represented because we're three Americans and we talk about Canada, Mexico and the U.S., uh, so so here we go. Before coming over here to the Wilson Center, though, uh, Andrew was the managing director at Monarch Global Strategies, uh, which is a boutique strategic advisory firm located in Washington, D.C. I can relate to that. Strategic <laughs> advisory <laughs> firms. You focused on government relations and market entry, market access for companies that were intre- interested in doing business in Mexico and other Latin American countries. I'd love to know where you got your your interest in the hemisphere. We can talk about that. Man, Andrew managed Monarch's health care practice and supported clients across a range of sectors and interests and we know that you also write extensively and you're renowned uh, for speaking on Mexican health care and other policy issues and importantly Chris and the reason we're all here the reason we're talking about with Andrew is the three of us are headed to Mexico City shortly so Andrew welcome thank you for joining us
2: Thank you, Scotty, and, and thank you, Chris. Uh, really great to be here with both of you. Looking forward to the conversation, and as you said, really looking forward to seeing you next week in Mexico.
0: Yeah, I think the cuisine might be a little bit different um, in when, when, when we all get to Mexico City. At least I hope it will. Nothing wrong with the cuisine here in the food court at the Reagan Building in Washington, <laughs> D.C. I do love a good... Panera Bread, you know, avocado melt, but I think we'll, we'll be enjoying
1: some things. So. There's, there's one thing you didn't mention in his intro, and I know he sometimes mentions it for our Canadian audiences, but Andrew has a Canadian connection.
0: Oh, let's hear it.
1: I do. My mom
2: was a proud newfie. Okay. uh, Newfoundland. uh, Yes. So uh, I always say, when I was asked recently, I think Chris was there, when uh, someone asked about my interest in Mexico. I said, well, I've been interested in Mexico for a long time, but I've been interested in Canada for even longer.
0: Even longer, since before you were born.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that was good planning. So how did
0: you get your interest in Mexico? Let's start with that.
2: Um, I actually got interested in Mexico. I spent my first semester of college uh, my, uh, so my first semester freshman year in a language program in Cuernavaca, which is outside of Mexico City.
0: And where were um, you in college?
2: Uh, I went to Colby College in Waterloo, Maine. In Bermin. Maine? Yes.
0: My mom went to Colby College in Waterloo, Really? Bermin. Gosh. Wow. I thought you were going to say Middlebury, because a lot of people that are proficient in languages uh, have gone Absolutely. to Middlebury. Anybody who goes to school in Vermont or Maine, you know, I give extra credit to. So that's pretty neat.
2: Well, I grew up in Maine, so it wasn't it wasn't that much of a stretch.
0: <laughs> all right, all right. Well, let's talk, Chris, for a moment about why we're all going to Mexico City. Do you want to Do you want to talk about the North Capital Forum a little bit?
1: Well, and and Andrew can talk about it as well. But we there is a uh, a conference put together by the U.S. Mexico Foundation called the North Capital Forum. It's bringing together. Um, Americans, Canadians to talk about um, the future of North America and it will be well represented it's a business audience with some uh participation from government a really interesting time for everyone to be getting together looking at where Mexico is going we have the new USMCA uh so many different changes in the relationship uh and we're meeting in Mexico City just a little bit ahead of the next North American Leaders Summit, we think, the yeah. NALS, which is uh, also coming up hopefully later this year, but uh, that, that you know more about that, yeah, uh, Andrew, than I do. Yeah, we
0: expertise on both of those things, Andrew. What are you looking forward to from the North Capital Forum, and then, mm-hmm. and then let's also talk about the Leaders Summit, if we, if you could.
2: You know, I, I in terms of the North Capital Forum, I, I think the fact that my understanding is it's actually oversubscribed, and I think that just shows the the level of interest among Canadians, Americans, and Mexicans in North America and in finding ways to collaborate, you know I think the move is as you both know well toward near shoring or ally shoring or friend shoring, whatever phrase anybody wants to use is certainly alive and well. It's a big focus of the u s mexico bilateral relationship
0: well yeah let's so so there was a high level delegation of right? American officials in Mexico City quite recently a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Is Mexico poised to take advantage of this decoupling with China, decoupling with Russia, nearshoring? Um, Is there a lot of activity there? Our listeners are largely Americans and Canadians. Mm -hmm. And and perhaps if they're interested in Canusa Street, they haven't focused a lot uh, south of the southern border. So maybe bring us up to speed about what's happening in Mexico these days and generally, but particularly with nearshoring. Are they... Are they going to be able to seize the moment, or are they seizing the moment?
2: Scotty, that that's a really good question. I think, are they going to seize the moment? It, it certainly depends on who you ask, but there are Mexico should be poised. It has uh, a number of advantages. Obviously, many of those are exactly the same as the advantages that Canada has, the proximity, the longstanding ties, the integration, particularly of the auto industry and the agricultural sector, and... Um, and and the Secretary of Economy, uh, the Secretariat of Economy is certainly committed to working with the U.S. to promote opportunities uh, for more nearshoring. That being said, uh, President Lopez Obrador has an energy policy which is um, very much focused on on augmenting the the market power of Pemex, the state oil company, and CFE, the electricity company.
0: At the expense of other private investors right
2: exactly yes and and there are some real concerns when people talk about investing in Mexico there are as I said huge advantages the opportunities in renewable energy are are incredible Uh, you know Sonora in the the north of, of Mexico has you know is one of the sunniest places in the world the the potential for renewable energy is great in solar in wind um, in, in hydro, and there are some real concerns that this policy that has favored the state and favored um, fossil fuels is, is a deterrent, maybe a deterrent to investment. So I think the answer is, are they poised, or, or is there an opportunity? Yes. Is Mexico poised to take it? In some ways, yes, but probably not, not as much as it should be.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: So um, one of the things uh, I always like when I go to Mexico is is doing comparisons in my head, Canada versus Mexico. Um, We recently had an episode where we talked a little bit about the parliamentary system versus the presidential system. How does Mexico, and this is a lot to ask a simple question, but how does Mexico run? federal versus the states like, does where... it wrong
0: on Dunkin Donuts Tim Horton's
2: or, or...
1: <laughs> exactly what Churros. what make, what makes okay. it tick and and where's the power where where are the deciders in a system like Mexico uh,
2: Mexico has a, a federal system that is certainly more similar to the. US than the Canadian system there is a president there is a Congress uh, the Mexican president has much more power than the U.S. president, particularly right now where the president has a majority uh, in both houses. He does not have um, a qualified majority. That is, he doesn't have two-thirds to change the Constitution. But, um, but
0: he's one ter- he only gets one term, right? It's
2: a one-term presidency, right? It's a one six-year term. Like being governor of Virginia. Yeah, like being governor, only longer. Yeah, only, <laughs> longer true. only longer, and and I I think uh, Lopez Obrador, or Amlo has has more power than uh, Governor Youngkin, but um, but in terms of of length and and Bigger one jurisdiction
0: term, too, though. Yes, yes,
2: <laughs> that's that is also true, um, and. Uh, I think Youngkin could technically run for election again someday, and I don't. Yes. So, but I, I think we're off topic. <laughs> what,
0: ha- what happens? What do Mexican presidents do, Andrew, after their term? What What's the recent history of that? Uh,
2: some of them have uh, President Calderon, uh, who was right before Amlo, if I'm not mistaken, is teaching at Yale. Uh, some Makes have sense. have done some sort of consulting. Some have obviously been been older
1: and done, I think, similar things to what U.S. presidents do when they retire uh, uh, Enrique Peña Nieto was in there and I know that he was uh, criticized for scandals there were a few things where people thought he was getting or his wife was getting a house mm-hmm. or so on um, is is there that sense that they they're one step away from their opponents prosecuting them We've, we're talking about political polarization is it something yeah. similar in Mexico there is definitely
2: more polarization uh, there was a referendum that, that Lopez Obrador really likes referenda um, whether they're sort of Fully uh, organized and and or not, he he likes to have a referenda, and there was one that the the question that was asked, I'm obviously paraphrasing, was more along the lines of should the government consider prosecuting past presidents who may have committed crimes, and that passed as you would expect. Something written that way mm-hmm. um, would pass. Uh, there haven't been any prosecutions. Of any of those presidents, uh, but again, I think that speaks to the polarization. The sense uh, Lopez Obrador um, is very critical of, of all his predecessors, and, and particularly those he he calls neoliberals, those who uh, sort of adopted what you know we might think of as uh, called the, the Washington consensus, or that uh, trying to favor or at least promote private investment, which is not something that that Amlo has been a big fan of.
0: Yeah, it's in- it's always interesting to me as somebody from the business community when. Governments are not looking for mm-hmm. uh, private investment or, or or dollars funding flowing in. Let me let me ask you a very uh, basic question since we're about to travel and I've got you on the air and, and maybe they'll edit this out. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we'll Depends see. Depends on
2: what I say. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so as we we're recording this, it's reported that Canada is going to eliminate what's known as the Arrive Can app, which is. Uh, an app that you download on your phone, if you want to enter Canada, and you have to give a whole bunch of information about your vaccine status and where you would stay if you uh, were to contract COVID, et cetera, et cetera. It was it was a good idea at the beginning of the pandemic, actually, as they were controlling the flow of people. It became less use; it, it outlived its usefulness in my in my opinion. Anyway, it's about to go away. Mm-hmm. So, as we head to Mexico, is there anything we could, is there an arrive Mexico app or like what do we need to know as Americans traveling to Mexico? Or have you been lately?
2: Uh, I was last there in April. Okay. Um, There is, I don't think there's an app. Uh, There is, Mexico does have something similar to global entry. Okay. uh, But it's not interchangeable with U.S. global. So if you have global entry here, that doesn't, it does not work in Mexico. They did have something similar or do uh, have something similar. Mexico really did not restrict, in fact, didn't restrict travel during COVID at all
0: interesting um, okay
2: and and you know we could talk at great length about how mexico responded to covid but and ha- well really... how
0: were the health outcomes because canada relative every you know COVID is tragic and yeah um yeah. but canada's health outcome canada was very strict
2: yeah.
0: uh and its health outcomes per capita were better than the US, fewer deaths. Yeah. So how about Mexico? Now,
2: Mexico, unfortunately, had one of the highest excess death rates in the world. Oh, okay. uh, some of that was due to a healthcare system that uh, prior to AMLO coming into office, Mexico for years had been underspending in healthcare. So you had a, a system that really wasn't prepared to respond to a, a global pandemic. And then for reasons in, including the economics of the, the Lopez Obrador administration also spent less on stimulus than almost any country in the world, um, out of an, two things: one, an aversion to accumulating debt, mm-hmm. and and also because so much of the economy is informal and people need to be out, um, you know, in the streets if if, if they're vendors or, or things like that. So there was a lot more um, opportunity, let's say, to you know, or or people weren't isolating at home as much. Some out yeah. of economic necessity. Um, some because the the Lopez Obrador administration didn't take it ser- as seriously. Um, I mean, there are lots of ways you can compare a- AMLO and Trump. And, and one was that, that AMLO said things like that, you know, you, Mexicans need to hug. So this social distancing thing is unnecessary. Wow. At one point, he famously, in a, in a press conference, um, took out a sort of a, a, a mask card or an iconic. I don't remember exactly what it was and basically said that, you know, God would protect him from... Covid, so he was still yeah. traveling and wading into crowds, and so it, it really there were a lot Did of mixed he get messages.
0: COVID? Ultimately, as, or do we? As far know? as
2: we know, he didn't.
0: Interesting. Uh, so God protected him, maybe. Uh,
2: maybe so. Maybe, so. <laughs> maybe
0: she. Maybe she took pity on on <laughs> on, on, uh, on, uh, on the guy. <laughs> so I, I can't resist having these you two experts here, uh, Chris for Canada, and you for Mexico. We talk. Um, a lot in the United States about the U.S.-Mexico relationship. I think people have a sense of what it's about from their own perspective. It's a lot about immigration, um, and it's a lot about economics and, and all of that. But we, you don't hear as much about the Canada-Mexico relationship. So maybe since uh, since you two are here, Chris, I'd I'd ask you both the same question. Like from Andrew, first with you from your perspective mm-hmm. as a as a Mexico expert. How is Mexico's relationship with Canada, Um, but then also with the world, you Mm -hmm. know, and then Chris, I'll ask you about how Canadians view the Mexico relationship Mm -hmm. because they've got they've got us sitting in the middle. Right. And it's a little maybe a little awkward. I don't know. Andrew, Yeah,
2: I I think um, Chris and I talk about this, this all the time. In so many ways, the North American relationship is is. Well always say two bilateral relationships, or technically three, but the third, that Mexico-Canada leg, is is without a doubt the shortest leg or the or the yeah. smallest leg. Um, obviously, some of it is because uh, of the, the the U.S. being in the middle. I, I think some of it is that in in any in any threesome, there's always somebody who feels like they're being left out. <laughs> Um, and so I think sometimes both Canadians and Mexicans. I remember this when I was in the NAFTA Office of Commerce, where, you know, sometimes both Canada and Mexico want a bilat. They wanted the, the one-on-one. They don't necessarily want the, the, the third. Um, yeah. Sometimes our, you know, at NAFTA Free Trade Commission means you've both seen this where... Uh, you wound up with a dynamic, a dynamic where the U.S. And, and Canada were sort of beating up on Mexico, and they didn't want to do that, but they they both had the same complaints. the The current USMCA dispute on energy is a good yeah, example. Yeah, good example where you've
0: of got, that. Same idea. You,
2: and you know, I think you have to do what you have to do, but there's always been, I think, that reluctance of the the two more developed partners to to beat up on the third. Um, they there can is, just
0: take turns. They they, don't have well,
2: to and up. and 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 on occasion, there are certainly examples under under the Trump administration where Mexico and Canada were on the same side. If you think about yeah. the the threat of NAFTA withdrawal, I mean, my perception was you had Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. business community all on one side, and the Trump That's administration right. on the other. That's That's right. Well, side. Or steel and
0: yeah. aluminum tariffs that were yep. misguided. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> same
2: same case where both countries. I, I think Canada more. I, I don't know. Strident is the fair word, but the the idea that Canada was perceived as somehow a security threat, I think, bothered Canadians more than it bothered Mexicans.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it wasn't
2: the Mexicans thought it was okay. It's just you know the relationship yeah. is different. Yeah,
0: and, and the sensitivity is like water off a duck's back. Well, yeah. why why don't we take a little break here, and then when we come back, Chris, maybe maybe you can answer the same question about about how Canada and Mexico
1: get. Absolutely. The Wilson Center Canada Institute is a proud co-producer of the Canusa Street podcast. For more insights and analysis from the world's leading think tank on Canada-U.S. relations, visit our site at www.wilsoncenter.org. That's www.wilsoncenter.org.
0: So we're back, and we're talking for a moment about the Canada-Mexico relationship, which is I think underexplored and it's kind of great to be a fly on the wall in the Wilson Center with these brilliant people Uh, so you guys talk about it yourself talk among yourselves but Bring our, bring our listeners in, Chris. What's How do you think about the Canada-Mexico relationship, or do you think about
1: it? I, I actually do. I, when I first um, was in Washington, I was in grad school, and I got my first think tank job at CSIS. Uh, they Center were for study-
0: Strategic and International Studies. Sorry,
1: I should rely on the acronym. Yes, Center for Strategic and International Studies. We get paid by Studies. the acronym in
0: Washington, so <laughs> uh, that's it's right. no problem. That's exactly <laughs> thank, right.
1: <laughs> thank you for the mentioning. They will appreciate it also. I um, I got They had set up a Canada project because they had a Mexico project, which was big and robust. Americans pay attention to, you know, that sense that there's a country that's interesting where everything may not be going well, so they had, they had a great practice. But NAFTA coming on the horizon, people saw it, made CSIS think, my bosses, well, we should do Canada as well. Mm-hmm. So I do think a lot about Mexico because... Uh, well, really, without Mexico, I'm not sure my career would have taken off. So I don't want to blame that on Mexico necessarily. <laughs> well, but, but it mine really, too, in a sense. And <laughs> if you compare those days when we, first, when we were first sort of putting Canada and Mexico together, back then, some Canadians traveled to Mexico for, you know, vacation, etc. But the relationship was minimal. Uh, very few Spanish speakers in Canada. They weren't getting, you know, television or ads or pop culture carrying over. I, I hesitate to say back then there wasn't really the Internet as we know it today, and so our younger listeners will definitely put me out with the dinosaurs. But but there was relatively little contact, and that lack of contact meant that what Canadians and Mexicans knew about each other was... A, at best kind of rumors or a few photos from National Geographic uh, you know things but nothing very deep and as time went on you know you saw Canadians deepening their knowledge slowly, um, and it was often the private sector. Um, there's a period of time when uh, Canadian oil field services companies and engineering companies saw Mexico growing, and they wanted to be part, particularly after the energy reforms that Hamlo mm-hmm. is now taking part. They wanted to get part, as investors, they wanted to take part in that. One of the things we share uh, very much is the um, is the auto industry, and Canadians didn't think of themselves as exporting to Mexico so much as exporting to GM and Ford or Toyota in the United States, which was then exporting it on to Mexico. So they had a sense they were in that space, but it was all very mediated, and I yeah. think they... So that's that's the sort of official relationship. And then a couple other things. Shortly after NAFTA, Canada took its seat at the Organization of American States, which is our regional uh, assembly. Uh, Kind of precursor to the to the United Nations, um, and so Canadians were there and and joining that the debates about hemispheric affairs in a way that they hadn't before. That was another one of Brian Mulroney's initiatives, and y- you could see the relation was beginning to grow. But a couple of things got in the way, and I always remember uh, Robert Pastor, who um, taught at American University, used to yeah. get so frustrated with the Canadians. I know the late great, but he um, he would be frustrated because the Canadians reacted to episodes that got blown out of proportion because there was so little baseline knowledge and there was a case in which a woman named Brenda Martin had been arrested Um, she was the cook and cleaning lady for a Canadian who was involved with a drug cartel Hmm. and I think the Mexican police were hoping that she would give up the secrets etc and uh, she somehow got a news reporter with a camera in to see her in jail, and she said that I'm being poorly treated, this is a third world country, this is really terrible. And see, for a lot of Canadians, it was a bit of a shock. Later, when Stephen Harper was Prime Minister, you'll remember this, um, there was a bit of a surge of those coyotes, the, dr- the human traffickers who were moving people, began moving them in through Canada. They would just mm-hmm. take them from Mexico to Canada, then have them cross the northern border because they knew it wasn't nearly as toughly guarded. And, of course, we had to Thanks
0: work... the question of why would you leave... Canada. If you make it that far, but anyway, yes. yes.
2: Oh, the
1: purpose good, was to bring them good down point. here, but P- purpose was to. Nevertheless, get here. they did. It's cold in Canada. But it that... is.
0: thats true. If you don't have the right clothing, it's a disaster.
1: <laughs> but but you know, I remember that episode too because. Um, the Mexicans reached out and said, "We don't like human trafficking either. Let's work together and prosecute this thing." Um, but Stephen Harper decided we're going to put a visa requirement on all Mexicans coming to uh, coming to Canada. Yeah, there's quite Canada. a chill
0: in the relationship.
1: So you know, I think the, right. the Canadians don't are growing. They're having they're growing in their knowledge and their interaction with Mexicans, all to the good. But there've been some bumps recently and some yeah. episodes that I think. If the relationship was richer, like the Canada-US relationship with so much going on, you could have a really annoying episode, and it's just that. Here, I think those things have tended to, to get to blown out of proportion yeah. and make people say, wait a minute, it's too risky, I'm not going to get closer. Interesting. Yeah,
2: now that, that, That's a good point. I mean, one of the hallmarks of the US-Mexico relationship has been an ability... Um, interrupted a little bit of late, but traditionally not to cross lines. So, you know, you dealt with migration was migration, trade was trade, security was security, and you didn't sort of cross-pollinate. And, and so to your point, when you can say, nope, we're going to deal with that between the trade ministers or between the security ministers, and it oh, doesn't become, yeah. you know, it, it, it doesn't start um, crossing. Now, under the Trump administration, that changed because um, President Trump connected migration and trade. By threatening, yes, by, right. by threatening terrorists, if Mexico didn't cooperate on migration,
0: right? You know, um, Frank McKenna, who is a former Canadian ambassador mm-hmm. to the United States, um, had an analogy that I'm going to take, use, but make it North American instead, make it trilateral instead of bilateral. So, you know, the 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 relationship—it's like before NAFTA, before we integrated economically, it's like we were three people in our own individual canoes. And now, now we're in the same canoe, mm-hmm. but America is like the really fat kid in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and if the fat kid stands up, you know, it kind of rocks the boat. Um, anyway,
1: that's it, an image we'll carry with yeah. us for a while.
0: Thank you, thank you, Frank McKenna, um, for that. Um, Andrew, what's the biggest opportunity do you think for Mexico and for North America right now?
2: You know, I, I think it goes back to the question you asked before. It really is the the move back to, to near shoring or ally shoring of, of supply chains getting shorter and wanting to, to build in redundancy and, the, you know, learning from the, uh, the economic impact and experience of the pandemic. And despite, you know, what I said about the energy policy in Mexico being questionable, um, you know, over the long haul, I, I think, you know, Mexico is so... Integrated into the U.S. that, you know, I I think over time, that is going to be where the opportunities are. And I think the energy issues will get sorted out. I don't know exactly how it may take until the next president is elected in Mexico in 24. Um, But I think, you know, that is the opportunity much as Mexico, similar to Canada, has always talked about trying to diversify its trade and not be so dependent. But, you know, the geography and the integration is such that you're kind of, you know, you are where you are. It's what you just said. We're in the same canoe and we're really not going anywhere.
0: Well, and is Mexico willing to kind of decouple with China in the way that the U.S. seems to want to do? Is that is that a thing you know, south the, of the border?
2: I mean, the U.S., the, the Mexico-China relationship, I think, is different than the Chinese relationship with other countries in that um, Mexico is a more industrialized economy. So it's not like South America where it's export of commodities. Um, China and Mexico are competitors in ways mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. of because of labor and production. So they're competitors in ways that maybe China and Brazil or China and Argentina aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the issues that that I think is sort of undefined that, that it, uh, people have said to me many times is it isn't clear, or this person, a former Mexican official that I'm thinking of, said it was never clear where the red line was of exactly how much can Mexico do with China hmm. before... Uh, the U.S. steps in. Um, but one example was when the U.S. was discouraging um, Chinese 5G and the Mexican officials were saying, okay, well, what should we do instead? And right.
1: the U.S. wasn't really offering a good alternative. They so go, what happened with that?
0: Nothing. Did Did Mexico um, go with Huawei or did they go a different way?
1: Well, they had Huawei for some of yep. the lower systems, I yep. think uh, 4G, 3G. Yes? 2G. I believe so.
2: I, so I do we'll think there's some equipment. We there yeah, week. we'll find yeah, out. I'm, yeah, I'm not... I'm not a hundred percent certain. I know that there was that, that. at times, you know, the U.S. officials have suggested, um, you know, Nokia and Ericsson and other, other technologies that aren't U.S. but well, also aren't China, right? Yeah. Which is that weird, yeah, weird policy of the U.S. of <laughs> a- advocating for one foreign country is against a different foreign country. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: I don't, I don't know if it's weird or if it's yeah. self-interested, but yeah. I mean, call it what you will. Well, let me if. if I mean, this is a switcheroo episode, Chris. So let me ask one more question, and and of both of you, <laughs> and then you can you can ask some more of your colleague if you want. Sure. Um, so the th- the other thing that's coming up with Mexico, the United States, and Canada, as we mentioned at the top, mm-hmm. is the North American Leaders Summit. We think it's going to be in December. I don't think a date has been set. We think mm-hmm. Mexico is the host, right? Because it's their turn. Um, what do both of you anticipate coming out of the summit? Is it a nothing burger? Is it a something? Uh, is it a poutine taco like what's happening <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> poutine taco <laughs> oh, now there's God. another image that, we'll yeah, take with us yeah. from this episode yeah
0: that's what the fat kid <laughs> in the middle of the canoe thinks he
1: <laughs> eats a lot of <laughs> oh gosh um, I, well, I'll just say that at the outset I think Canadians are going to be watching this we stopped having the so-called Three Amigos summits under Donald Trump. And Canada was probably... We
0: we didn't have any
1: in four years. So it's
0: been six years?
1: Yeah, and well, we had one last December uh, that the U.S. hosted, and it was the first time. It was sort of returned to normal with Mm -hmm. the Biden administration. But even before that, I think the U.S. had much more enthusiasm for these summits than the Canadians did. I think twice uh, when it was Canada's turn to host, Canada chose not to. Once was when it was hosting G7 and uh, G20, I think, in, in 2007. Um, and then there was another one where they just, I think, 2011, where they let their turn pass. Hmm. But um, this was because there were other things or it couldn't be squeezed into the schedule. Um, but the U.S. Um, has probably been the most dedicated to the trilateral. and You think? I think so. I think the U.S. has wanted to have the trilateral meetings in a lot of ways. And Mexico hosting this year is going to be followed by Canada hosting next year. So I think a lot of... Canadians are looking to this meeting to say, okay, well, we know the Americans started this process back up again. Where is Mexico going to go? And what are we going to get uh, as a handoff?
0: Do you agree with that assessment?
1: Well,
2: I was going to say, I mean, I think maybe Canada's uh, lack of enthusiasm gets back to what I was saying before, that preferring the bilateral to the trilateral. Yeah. So maybe the U.S. sees it, I, I mean, you know, as okay, we, we can meet with both at
1: the same time. And yeah, there's an efficiency um, argument that you right. Have.
2: Whereas, we're for Canada and or for Mexico, I think it's a fear that the U.S. That, right, that the U.S. Mm-hmm. will pay attention to the other guy and not to not not to us, mm-hmm. right? And that um you know we have our own issues, which which you do, but you know in in the in any of the trilaterals you know I've ever been involved in, there's always bilats as well, right? There's a time when the U.S. and Canada go off and talk about their problems, and there's a time when the US and Mexico talk about their problems. So you can still do that. You know, I'm a big fan of, I think think the fact that they meet is important. I I think we have to be realistic that, you know, the deliverables tend to be lots of aspirational statements and promises, and and then the question is, what comes out of it? And and that's the same with the the US-Mexico high-level economic dialogue. They have talked about a lot of things they want to do. There is some positive movement, but at the end of the day, it's easy to say, "Hey, we ought to do X thing." It's harder to, harder to bring it down to, you know, to to land that 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 big promise. So my guess is there would be lots of promises to continue to cooperate on, on nearshoring and and pandemic recovery, and there'll be some efforts to finesse talking about renewables and climate change, uh, in ways that won't force the Mexicans to say something they don't want to say, but will allow the the biden and trudeau administrations to say what they what, so do
0: what do you what are you referring to there what do the mexicans not want to say on coal, so on um renewables? Be,
2: because lopez obrador is such an advocate of fossil fuels yeah okay uh, he's been um and he because want to he's almost to
0: net zero by
2: no, that, no 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 he i mean that's mexico had made commitments but that's not his focus i mean he really and and what i think he would say where he's sitting here is he's not opposed he would argue it's not that he's opposed to renewables. It's that he is so in favor of the continued growth and development and primacy of Pemex, which is the state oil company, and of, of the state uh, electricity company, which relies on, um, on fossil fuels for a lot of its generation. How so about... it's more of renewables as sort of a threat to the primacy of I see.
0: And of how, just speaking of, of that, what's the situation? Does Pemex... Does Mexico export liquefied natural gas, or could it? Like, does the does the situation in Europe with Russia provide an opportunity, or are they not in that business at the moment? Because that's awfully expensive. Yeah.
2: So that I mean that that's a good question, Scotty. Um, Mexico does not produce as much oil as as it could. There, um, Pemex is, is heavily indebted and has been under under invested for years. And in, in fact, I think what you're alluding to the fact that um, there was such a demand for oil, were Mexico in a position to have produced more, they would have been able to fill a vacuum interesting. or a gap. Yeah. You know, I, I think, for example, when the, the Biden administration reached out to the Venezuelans, and you know, you, you can say that was a good idea or a bad idea, but it's a shame they couldn't go to Mexico and say, hey, could you pump another 100 million barrels?
0: Yeah, I would say it's because a bad it's idea to there. reach out to Venezuela, but uh, <laughs> just from a geopolitical, but I understand why the U.S. did it. and Because it, it, there were
2: only here. bad options.
0: That's right, only bad options. And,
2: and Mexico could have been a good option. And I, I you know, I don't know the precise figure, but you know, I think if you looked at what um, the potential would be huge, um, there are challenges. I was talking to someone just the other day, talking about the fact that uh, because of the way Pemex is structured and because of the way it's been invested, Pemex isn't drilling out in the Gulf the way other other companies are. I mean, there are real opportunities. Um, Pemex actually is a net importer of gasoline because it doesn't have the capacity to refine so it exports a lot of its oil to the US and then and then buys gasoline back
0: what a what a catch 22 mm-hmm. you know cuz if you if you private i'm i'm biased towards industry right i run mm-hmm. the Canadian American Business Council i think the private industry in our in our world actually solves a lot of Huge problems, whether it's in life sciences mm-hmm. or any other innovation. Um, so, what a catch! So, so I'm biased, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm declaring my biased, my bias. Uh, but what a catch twenty two for for Mexico, because it seems like if you want to have an industry that has the ability to meet the demands of the world you need an infusion mm-hmm. of capital because yeah. this is expensive it is expensive to develop resources whether it's critical minerals yeah. whether it's traditional fossils whether it's renewables it's awfully expensive mm-hmm. and if if the position of the government of Mexico is we don't we don't want any Outside investment, and we don't want to go into debt. I don't know how. I don't know how they propose well, to fix it.
2: I mean, they're you know they would say It's not that they don't want foreign investment. It's more a question of where that foreign investment goes, um, and and again, wanting wanting to, to defend the primacy of, of CFE and of and of PEMEX, which creates all kinds of challenges for investors, including those who have global emission reduction commitments
0: which and, is everybody pretty right, much right yeah. which is
2: everybody and if you're burning that's for a good
0: reason if i might say <laughs> if yeah. you're
2: using electricity that is based on generated with fossil fuels then right you do a calculus you either have to buy offset somewhere else or you've got to reduce your production in mexico uh, right e- each unit you produce is is dirtier therefore you have to produce fewer to to not exceed your cap and i, I think that's a point that some certainly in the mexican government and the mexican private sector understand really well um, whether President López Obrador understands it is is less clear, which is why I said it could be that in two years, with a new president, there may
1: be a somewhat different approach. And I, I, want, I want to bring us back a little bit to trade. Uh, when in the very end neg- parts of the negotiation of what we now think of as the USMCA, TMEC in uh, mm-hmm. in they Mexico. Call it I yeah, T and it's that. Canusa, uh, uh, Kuzma. Kuzma in yeah. Canada. Yeah, all this Canusa. News.
0: It's not Canusa. That's it's not us. Canusa. No, no, <laughs> that's we're not canusa. us. Yeah,
1: everyone loves also, Canusa. We, we
0: also, we need to get whatever the Mexican twist on Canusa Street. I is. was,
2: I was thinking Mexusa? about that. I don't know. Can, you know, I guess you could just do Canusa Max.
0: Canusa Max. There you oh, go. All right. Very nice. All right. And, anyway, last even question.
1: geographic. Last question so,
0: or intervention, Chris? Yeah. On the go ahead.
1: I, 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 so, so there was a period in when we were negotiating what we thought was the new NAF, Mm-hmm. Uh, now, USMCA, when uh, I think a lot of Canadians worried that Trump might just do a bilateral with Mexico and leave them on the outside. Certainly some of the rhetoric we heard from Lighthizer and others made it look like maybe the US and Mexico were going to mm-hmm. do a deal. Technically there was a moment when there, there when was, it was a, 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 a US-Mexico Mexi- was US deal. It was on exactly. autos, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there was that moment, and and yet, in the end, we got an agreement. It is an agreement that includes all three countries. It advances some things beyond mm-hmm. NAFTA, it makes some other changes. Last year, uh, there's a little shameless self-promotion, Scotty, this is why you shouldn't let me ask colleagues things, but last year Go we wrote it. a piece where we talked about... You and Andrew? You, yeah, Andrew okay. and I, uh, we talked about the USMCA as, as a winning bet, and uh, the argument was, if I, as I recall it, that, uh, that Canada and Mexico took a chance, got beat up for a year, and now they have an agreement and Trade Promotion Authority is gone, and we heard Liz Truss uh, coming to the United States as Britain's Prime Minister explaining to people a a deal with a U.S.-UK deal is years away because there is no Trade Promotion Mm -hmm. Authority, and so they're still having preliminary talks. Um, So, Canada and Mexico in
0: the show notes, by the way, so your piece. Let's do that. Okay, sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, So Canada and Mexico did a deal with the United States. They have a deal. There is a USMCA. Is it a winning bet? Did they? Do uh, Do the Mexicans feel that they're um, that they got something good here? Are they glad they're still connected with Canada? Um, and and do you think North America comes out ahead because we have a deal and we didn't tear it all up? Oh, I, I mean, w-
2: without a doubt, we're ahead for not having torn up the deal. In fact, sometimes Chris, I say the the best thing about USMCA is that there is one that it, you know, that that, right. that that NAFTA wasn't... Somewhat
0: of a, a low enough. bar, but yes. It, it was a
2: low bar, but, yeah. if, but if you think but about right, there yeah. was a, certainly a point in time, I mean, I, Scotty, I, mean, I know you did as well, was going to business community meetings, and there was really, really intense fear that NAFTA was going to be, yeah. Torn he's crazy
0: out. enough to do it, and
2: yeah. um, and lots of stories about why he ultimately was talked out of doing it, etc. Mm-hmm. Et so, so Chris, I, mean, I I know that is a low bar, but I think that's the first most important thing. It was a, a reaffirmation of a commitment to North America, and and this all, of course, happened before the pandemic, and you know nearshoring was starting to happen, right? People mm-hmm. were at least trying to move diversify from China, but I think it creates a strong platform and that, you know, people will take advantage of. I think you know, Mexico and Canada are similar in that the debate about whether trade is good or bad happened a long time ago. Right. And I don't think I mean sure, there are people. There are some people in mexico i'm sure who would like like to go away but i suspect those are people who are you know sort of anti-capitalism not i don't think there's very many people in mexico who think mexico should pull out of usmca and continue to be a, a what lamla would call a neoliberal economy so yeah i think it's and and you know I my own view is industry the private sector and and civil society we are all so integrated that even if the trade agreement went away, I don't believe the trade would go away. It would become more expensive and more complicated in some ways. But you know, would the auto industry or the agricultural industry really stop? It to me, it seems impossible. So I, I think USMCA gives us the the platform, the rules. You and I talk about this all the time, mm-hmm. but you know, the the consistency that is essential. Well,
0: I I have an idea, Chris. Maybe after. We're all in Mexico City in North American mm-hmm. Leaders Forum, and, and Chris and I are gonna are gonna bank a lot of podcast episodes while we're there if we can, because there's some terrific guests absolutely down there. Um, after that, and after the North American Leaders Summit, maybe we get back together here. Yeah, yeah. And let's That'll talk about where we are and um, what has occurred, and if it's um, somewhere between a nothing burger and a poutine taco and what, whatever <laughs> Such the other an is. awful <laughs> image <laughs> um, well we'll come up with some festive holiday um, food to think about but may- maybe we could do that what do you think chris
1: i think it would be great uh, it, it, we we've seen things we never thought we would see happen including britain leaving the european union in recent years 30 almost 30 years after nafta canada and mexico are still tied even if they're tied to the fat kid in the middle of the canoe. Uh, they're still tied, and there's a point at which that becomes a fact on the ground, or does it? Do we walk away from this? And I, I, I think it's high time for Canadians and and Mexicans to kind of develop their bilateral relationship a little bit.
0: Yeah, more. and and I hope to be smarter on Mexico. I've spent a lot of time thinking about Canada, and the United States, and I haven't mm-hmm. spent enough time thinking about North America as a community. And this 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 visit. Um, is going to help that this conversation with you helps and i'll say one other thing that helps mm. um andrew is you had a session here at the wilson center that i had the great um, privilege to attend that was about a book uh that is out uh and in interviews with u.s ambassadors to mexico right. and and it's called a challenging assignment um which which i'm going to read on the plane on the way to mexico city to try to to get ready so um great. it's a great read uh, really appreciate your leadership and, and your insights and um, and thanks for coming on Canusa Street.
1: My N- pleasure. Thanks for the invitation.
0: And and now what do we call what are we gonna have to call it now? Canusa Mex?
1: Mex. Well, you know, we have a little corner here at the Wilson Center with the Canada Institute and the Mexico Institute next to each other, so we're sort of a crossroads or a or North American corner as it is. So it may be uh, Mexusa or Usamex <laughs> street and Canusa street Mech-Sus- just have they have a little juncture there.
0: You know, I have to I, we just have to end on one more terrible analogy since this seems to be the the podcast, but Pierre Elliott Trudeau um used to talk about Canada and the United States and he would say it's, it's like a mouse being in bed with an elephant, right? Mm-hmm. And you feel every twitch of the beast. And one Mexican president said, well, at least you're on top. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, here in the Wilson Center, you know, is Chris on top? That's what we, that, you know, inquiring minds want to know.
1: Oh, I, I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> Can't yeah, I don't like that.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks, you guys. Okay, Adios. Thank you very much.
1: Adios. A la
0: prochaine. <laughs>
1: Wow, Scotty, that was a great conversation. I'm so glad that my Wilson Center colleague, Andrew Rudman, was willing and able to spend a bit of time with us. Not only does he understand Newfoundland from his mom, but uh, of course he understands Mexico very, very well. And uh, as a longtime American government official, he he has a really good sense of the U.S., a true North American all-star. And of course... This conversation sets us up for our trip to Mexico City in the North Capital Forum, where we'll be recording episodes to talk about how Mexico fits in the Canada US relationship and how Canada and the United States can learn from each other and from Mexico about the future of our neighborhood. Looking forward to bringing those Canusa Street on the Road episodes to all of our listeners. That's all for now. And Scotty, we'll see you next time on Canusa Street.
2: This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.